Hi, I'm Lauren Vogel, a reporter for CMAJ News. Today I'm joined by Canada's prison watchdog, Howard Sapers. Since 2004, Sapers has challenged the government's treatment of Aboriginal offenders and inmates with mental illness. Now he may be nearing the end of his term as correctional investigator. Howard, what can you tell us about the status of your contract? Well, it's really not clear when my responsibilities will be over. The government reappointed me for a period of up to one year, which would expire in March of uh, 2016. The appointment was pending the identification of my replacement. The the government prior to the election um, had indicated they wanted to replace me. Of course, we'll see whether that's still the case. You've been correctional investigator for a decade now. What health issues have you seen the most progress on in that time? There's some things that I've seen that have been very positive, some things that are troubling. The Correctional Service of Canada has made tremendous gains over the last decade in identifying mental health concerns for mentally disordered offenders. Uh, They have a world-class computerized screening and assessment process that's in place now. Um, That's good news. The bad news is is that while we are better informed about what the nature of the health problems are regarding the mental health of offenders, um, we really haven't done a dramatically better job of meeting those concerns once they're identified. Uh, One thing that's very troubling is the continued over-representation of of Aboriginal men and women in prisons and the acceleration of the incarceration of Indigenous women. When I started my job in 2004, it was about 17 or 18 percent of the in-custody population were of Aboriginal heritage. It's now nearly one in four. It's just shy of 25 percent. And that's in spite of a Supreme Court of Canada decisions urging the lower courts to use restraint in sentencing and take Aboriginal life history into account. You mentioned a growing number of incarcerated Aboriginal women. How can corrections better address their health needs? What we know about offenders in general and women in particular is that relationship, contact with family, community support, particularly upon release, are all critical factors in success and staying out of conflict with the law. Um, and for many Aboriginal women, they're being incarcerated far, far away from home, so family contact becomes next to impossible. Um, and these are real challenges for both their mental well-being while they're in custody, but also for their success upon release. You said that Corrections is getting better at recognizing mental health needs, but not at addressing them. Why is that? Well, let me say first and foremost that the criminal justice system is the wrong gateway to health care. Frankly, I don't think you could find a more expensive, less efficient, uh, and more confounding way for people to receive health care. We have to put more effort into diversion out of the criminal justice system and into a system that's more appropriate to meet those needs. Once somebody is engaged in the criminal justice system, uh, you're not perceived as a patient. You're not necessarily perceived as somebody who is needing care. You're perceived as somebody who um, has broken a law and now you are receiving a consequence. We have to calibrate that response, recognizing that the point of that consequence is to prepare people for a crime-free life upon release, and often that involves a healthcare element as well. Is the government making it a priority to recalibrate its response to inmates with mental illness? 
Well, it certainly is a priority, and I will say that the Correctional Service of Canada has created and implemented a very good strategic plan when it comes to meeting the mental health needs of federally sentenced offenders. There's been policy clarification and governance changes, and all of this has been positive. The problem is we're not seeing a big difference in the outcomes. So we're seeing uh, just as much or more self-injury, just as much or more suicide and suicide attempt, just as much or more institutional violence than we've seen in the past. And so all of these are indicators of an unhealthy prison environment. When you add to the mix that the Correctional Service of Canada is in the middle of rejigging it's a provision of acute care mental health services. Um, then you've also got a system right now that's going through a period of instability. We're going from having a capacity for 670 beds across the country to around 150 beds. That in spite of the fact that the numbers of significant diagnoses are actually going up. So what's the rationale behind that change? Well, the rationale primarily is to shift resources away from acute care to fund intermediate care. Um, That was a level of care for offenders who were not so ill that they needed to be in one of the acute care psychiatric hospital spaces, but they were not well enough to survive and thrive in general population in a mainstream penitentiary. So this was never funded. And funding intermediate care is important, uh, but I believe that new resources should have been made available as opposed to robbing Peter to pay Paul. There's been an ongoing struggle in corrections to recruit and retain health professionals. What do you see as the biggest barrier there? Uh, Salary scales. Uh, The Correctional Service of Canada is not paying at the top of the market for healthcare professionals. Um, There are other issues that are more complex. The operational climate. They feel that they are not often supported in a health-first approach, that they feel that optimal care is compromised by security requirements, that there are restrictions placed on access to their patients. So there's a variety of barriers that healthcare professionals have raised with my office. Looking forward, what are the immediate next steps corrections can take to improve inmate health in the next year or four years? Yeah, there's a few things that I believe are priorities. Um, The Correctional Service of Canada has to create a deputy commissioner for Aboriginal corrections so that one person is responsible and accountable for making progress on that file. We also think there should be a prohibition on the use of things like segregation for mentally ill offenders. That population is very much at risk and kind of isolated conditions that segregation presents. There also needs to be a much greater emphasis on building bridges with the community when it comes to continuity of care. So making sure that their treatments, et cetera, are maintained as they come into the institution, and then making sure that all the necessary steps are taken to ensure continuity of care after release. So those are some big pieces that we think are priorities and we think they'd make a big difference. What do you think about speculation in the media that Stephen Harper's conservatives were seeking to replace you because you've been so hard-hitting in your criticism of how the government treats inmates? I've heard that commentary. Um, I I think that anybody that was uh, placed in this job would uh, be faced with the same challenges and the same facts. 
And uh, I don't think that governments can ignore that reality. I don't think it's a reflection on uh, the manner in which I've done my job. Um, I have to take uh, the minister at his word that he just felt it was time for renewal. In your time as prison watchdog, what do you consider your biggest personal achievement? Being able to identify um, some core issues and see progress in regards to deaths in custody, raising the general level of awareness around the overrepresentation of Aboriginal men and women in custody, and seeing the progress that's been made over the last decade in regard to mentally ill offenders. I take some satisfaction having played a role in those areas, but as you can tell from my previous comments, I certainly don't feel like the job's been done. It's not completed. Thanks again for your time, Howard. Thank you.